0: Well, welcome to Raider Church. And um, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Brandon Gwyn. I'm giving Clayton a little bit of a break tonight, so you're stuck with me. But just to tell you a little bit about myself, uh, I am married to my beautiful wife, Jennifer. Right. Um, th- this year is a big year for us because uh, kind of a lot is happening at-, at once. This this is the year that we celebrate um, the 25th year since we started dating. Okay, so do the math. Most of you weren't here. And then the 20th year since we got married in 1999 and both of our 40th birthdays. So it's, it's a huge, scary thing. And uh, I feel super old standing in front of a bunch of people that that <laughs> weren't even uh, a thought, you know, in your parents minds yet. Uh, I have three kids one that's a barely younger than you. She's 16. Her name is Taylor. Uh, I have a 12 year old son, Aiden and a nine year old son, uh, Xander. And you know, I've, I've been friends with Clayton and Mark and, and doing ministry with them for over 10 years. And, and man, I've just loved seeing what God is doing at Raider church. And also, you know, uh, the city church is kind of our, you know, church for grown-ups That's, that's like Raider that meets on Sundays. Uh, it's been awesome to see what God has done in this last year. And, and, I don't know about you and how you were raised, but for me, man, I was raised in church. Like, grew up in church. Like, we were there three or four times a week. My family literally locked the door on their way out kind of thing. And we were there, everything they had, I was was there, I was in the choir. I did all kinds of of stuff. Um, I don't know what your experience is with church. Maybe you were raised in church. Maybe you're kind of new to this whole church thing, but there's just something it's kind of in our culture, right? We're in the Bible belt. It's just a natural thing. People go to, go to church. Where do you go to church? You know, have you been in church? I've been in ministry for 20 years now. And I, I love church. That's why I've devoted my life to it. But could it be that there are some of us that what you're at right now, this, this gathering, or maybe you attended church on, on the weekends, on Sundays, Could it be that we're relying on only that setting for everything that we need as a Christian? Is that the extent of your relationship with God? Have you ever felt restless, maybe even like unsatisfied or disappointed with with your church experience, maybe even your relationship with God? Have you ever felt like you were spiritually stuck or, or in a rut or dry? Do you go through these cycles where, you know, sometimes you feel really close to God and then other times you feel really far from God and you kind of fall on and off the wagon when it comes to attending church and, and just being a Christ follower? Does any of that sound familiar to you? And you ever thought like, what, what am I missing? Like there has to be more than this. What is it that your spirit and your soul are longing for? that you're not getting. And could there be a blind spot in your life and in your relationships and in your relationship with God that's setting you up for disappointment, setting you up for even failure? Tonight we're, we're talking about Jesus, right? That's a good thing to talk about in church. And I feel kind of stupid saying this, but I think when we look at what Jesus says and what he does, we should just go with it. Because he's, he, he's way smarter than us. And not only that, but I think when in doubt, you should go with the guy that not only predicted his death and resurrection, but actually pulled it off, right? So I think if we look at his life here on earth, he, he lived to be in his mid-30s. And he had three and a half years of ministry time here on earth. He knew that the clock was ticking on his time. And so if we look at his life, we look at his relationships, how he spent his time, and not only how, but with whom he spent his time, we can learn a lot. We can learn a lot about the the heart of God and, and what Jesus at least felt like was an important use of his time. And what we should also feel is an important use of our time. So what can we learn from him? And we're also looking at the early church in the book of Acts. We're looking at the very first Christians, right? Jesus was raised from the dead and he appeared to some people. He ascended into heaven and then started this this movement that we're still a part of today. The very first Christians, what did their lives look like? How did they spend their time? Who did they spend their time with? With and if we're going to truly follow Jesus, maybe we should think about incorporating some of these in our lives. So we're starting in Acts chapter two. This is the very first church, like we were just talking about. They weren't even known as Christians yet. It was known as as the Way, just this this movement of Jesus followers that was starting to pick up steam. So this is kind of a picture of that early church. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. And to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So based on this scripture and based on the life and ministry of Jesus, we're talking about three different groups and three different group sizes that I want to see if we have incorporated into our lives. And the first one is the easy one. That's, that's this one we're doing here. I call it the the crowd. The crowd. This is, this is what we're, we're, we're doing right here, like a, a Sunday morning church when you gather together with a lot of believers. Uh, the crowd. And we get this from what we just read in, in Acts. It says all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They worshiped together at the temple each day. So you had all these believers, hundreds, even thousands of them, meeting together each day. You also see it in the the life of Jesus. There's so many times throughout Scripture, throughout the Gospels, when you see Jesus standing in front of hundreds, even thousands of people, teaching them, healing, doing miracles, that kind of stuff. He had crowds following him everywhere he went. So this is the one we're good at. We, we're good at being part of the crowd. We're good at church attendance. I mean, you guys are great. It's test season, right? And you've chosen to be here tonight. You guys have this one figured out. So what are the benefits of this size group? You, you know this already, but we're going to kind of review. In this size group, we get teaching. It's where someone like Clayton, who's, who's gifted to teach the word of God, he, he gets to teach. He gets to cast vision for you, to lead you. We see this in the life of Jesus. He stood before people and he taught them. He talked about God and the nature of God and God's heart. He talked about the kingdom of heaven, teaching people. We also see it in uh, the New Testament. You have Paul uh, telling Timothy how he should run his ministry. And this is 1 Timothy chapter 4. He's, he's telling Timothy, teach these things and insist that everyone learn them. Until I get their focus on reading the scriptures to the church, encouraging the believers and teaching them. And then in 2 Timothy, he says, Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. Teaching is a huge part of something that you can get here in this kind of gathering. You, you get good teaching, but also we get to worship together corporately. Corporate worship. There's something awesome that happens when believers come together together with one kind of like mind and one like spirit as a church family and sing with one voice praises to God. Man, life-changing things happen when we worship God together and his presence comes in just an incredible, special, powerful way. And it's life-changing for us. And a lot of times it can, it can propel us to change, what I'm calling like a spiritual catalyst. This kind of gathering is good for that. You come. You've probably experienced this in your life. Maybe you've come into a church setting. Maybe you were far from God. Maybe you you encountered his presence in in, in a crowd like this. And maybe you turned your heart to him. Maybe you heard something in a sermon that kind of set your life on on a different path. These meetings are great for that, but it's also good for being a part of something bigger than yourself. You can come here and know, hey, I'm not alone. I'm here as a part of something bigger than just me. I'm on the same team as these guys. We're, we're part of a, a bigger vision, a bigger movement, a bigger direction. Like, for example, I am a fan of the Spurs, San Antonio Spurs. If you didn't know, they're an NBA basketball team. <laughs> and uh, I think everyone should be fans of the Spurs. There's not a lot of Spurs fans in this part of Texas for some reason. Um, but I think you should all convert into their fandom. I think your life would just uh, be better. Um, but if, if I pass you in Walmart and you have a Spurs hat on or like a Tim Duncan jersey or something, you and I are going to have a connection. Like, I'm going to want to be your friend. The problem is I'm so you know, introverted, I'm never going to talk to you, right? But inside, I'll, I'll be like, man, that, that, that guy's cool. We should, we should be friends, right? Because we're, we're part of the same team. We have a, a connection that's bigger than just us. It's the same with you guys here. You can come into a crowd like this and know that you're not alone. You're you're all part of something bigger than just you. Now, here's the problem. While we get this and this is good and this is an easy thing to come to and attend, right? And we feel good about our, our church attendance. The problem is this isn't enough. This meeting in itself can't possibly meet all of your needs. This meeting in itself doesn't really lend itself to true discipleship, to being a true dedicated follower of Jesus. It can't do that for you. Now, why? Well, I think that question can really be answered just it's a logistical thing, right? Look around. There's a a lot of people in here. The the crowd is too big. And when you have crowds like this, what it does is it naturally creates spectators. I mean, the the architecture of this room guarantees this fact. Look around. You have lots of rows of pews and some chairs, right, all facing the stage that's elevated, right? The, 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 The very architecture of this room ensures that you have spectators and performers. There's no getting around it. You can't really be a a participant here. You're you're kind of locked into the role of a spectator. Now think about when Jesus stood before all those people. You remember the miracle he did when he fed the 5,000 people with the the fish and the loaves? Do you think when those 5,000 people left that day, do you think they left knowing that Jesus was the Messiah who had come to, to save the world? Do you think they left there as Hardcore, devoted followers of Jesus and they went everywhere he went for the rest of his life? No. No, there's no chance they did that, right? Because why were they there? They were there to kind of see the show, to see what was going on. They were there to get their, their bellies full. They probably came back the next day expecting the same thing. Crowd sizes that big. They don't lend themselves to true discipleship. So the result is you can't be Known. We all have this innate desire within us to, to be fully known by someone, right? And, and fully loved and accepted. We all need it. But that can't happen when there's this many people in the room. You can't know everyone. Therefore, you can't really receive their love because they don't know you. You don't know them. You can't have your needs met. There's, there's no way that, that Clayton can know every single person in here, what's going on in your life, if you need prayer, if, if you're having trouble at school, or if you've had a death in the family, there's just no possible way that a a pastor can keep up with all of those needs. There's a guy named Neil Cole that wrote a few books about this, this topic. I want to read you a quote from him. He says, there's a time and place for huge groups In a mostly volunteer organization. When we attempt to influence a group this size, we can usually cast a vision, raise awareness and collect resources. The group itself, though, remains passive at this size. Members are receptors of information but have little or no way to participate except by casting a vote at a business meeting, which we don't really do that, so you can't even do that here. You can donate money or receive the activity of the leaders, but the bottom line is you're a spectator. You have no choice but to remain passive. You have no opportunity to get involved. And again, You can't possibly know everyone. So what we see in the life of Jesus is that he was constantly pulling back from the crowds over and over again. He'll draw a lot of people, and then he's he's looking for ways to sneak out. Why do you think that is? I mean, if he knew his time was limited and his goal here on earth was, was to spread the word, the good news of the gospel, that he was there to save the sins, save us from our own sins and save everyone in the world. Like, wouldn't you think he would want to be in front of the most people possible? Like, get your message to the most people. That way it can go further, faster. But he, he knew that's not how it worked. He knew those crowds weren't set up for true discipleship. So he, he kept pulling back from the crowds because of his love for everyone. And he pulled back normally to how many? To 12. That's our next group size, the, the 12. Jesus was constantly retreating to his 12 disciples. Next slide. Luke chapter 6. One day soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray and he prayed to God all night. At daybreak, he called together all of his disciples and chose 12 of them to be apostles. So he had all these devoted followers, right? It wasn't 5,000, but it was, it was enough. It was kind of a crowd. And he takes 12 of them and calls them to be apostles. Now these 12 were on a different level of Jesus follower than the 5,000. They didn't just show up at the big events. They didn't just show up to see uh, what was happening, see what was going on. They, they walked and talked with Jesus every single day. They had a relationship with them. They got to be behind closed doors and hear his heart. They got to see miracles firsthand. They ate meals with him. They slept next to him on the ground. They they had a different level of relationship with Jesus. The 12 did. And what about in the book of Acts? Acts chapter 2, back to what we just read. We already talked about they worshiped together at the temple, right? But then it says, they met in homes for the Lord's Supper. And they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. They, they met in homes. You can't get 5,000 people in a house. So we see that they broke into smaller groups, probably just natural relationships, extended family, maybe close friends. And they met in homes, the 12. What's, what's the benefit of a group this size? Well, first of all, you have the intimacy that we talked about the big group can't have. We all have that innate need in us to be fully known, fully loved, fully accepted. That can happen in a group of 12. Everyone can know each other. You can also participate. It's hard to be a spectator in a a house full of people, right? Everyone can can participate. You can have your, your needs met. These are people you have relationships with. They know what's going on in your life. They know the struggles you're sharing on that level because you're all participating, right? They can know if you need prayer. They can know if you're struggling in school or financially or or, or family problems or death or whatever. It's a natural byproduct of that size group is those needs get met because they know you. They love you. They care for you. It can't happen here in a group this size. So my question for you is, do you have a group of 12? It doesn't have to be exactly 12, right? You don't have to X people off the list or whatever. Like, it can be a little bigger. It can be a little smaller. But the point is, do you have that close-knit group that knows and loves each other and that also loves Jesus and that you're following him together? I went a period of time in the last year and a half where I didn't have a, a church home as before we'd started the city. I didn't have a church to attend on the weekends. So we tried a few different churches and I ended up meeting at my house on most Sundays with, with my family, my extended family, my parents, the sisters, brothers-in-law, cousins, nieces, nephews. There was more than 12, but we decided we would all meet together and we didn't have really an agenda. Like there was no singing and preaching and stuff. We just hung out together. And we talked to each other, like real talk, like not not putting the mask on and pretending like everything's okay, but we knew each other, we loved each other, we we prayed for each other. And again, as someone who was raised in the church and who's been in ministry pretty much my whole life, those those were some of the most powerful church experiences I've ever had. Why? because it's meeting those needs that, that we all have as Christ followers. And there's something special about watching my kids get to sit in a circle with people and hear real stuff, hear that maybe their uncle is going through something. And maybe somebody breaks down and they're, they're, they're struggling with something at work or a relationship or something. They get to see us pray for them. They get to hear answers to prayer. You don't get that in a crowd this size. You just don't. But right there, every single week in front of us was, was like putting skin on the gospel, right? It wasn't just a fairy tale. It was real life, following Jesus, loving God, and loving each other. That's how it's supposed to be. Circles are better than rows. This is great. This is helpful. It serves a huge purpose, but it's not everything. It's not enough. You need to find your 12. That's where true discipleship happens. So what's the third group? The third group's even smaller. We had the crowd, we had the 12, and now we have the two or three. And again, if you study the life of Jesus, he withdrew from the crowds to his 12, but there was a group within the 12 that he spent more time with than everybody else. Who was that? Peter, James, and John. John. They had a different kind of relationship with him. This is also just the two or three concept. It's the very heart of who God is. You think about how God exists. We know he exists in the Trinity, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three in one. And before time began, they start creating the heavens and the earth. And at every stop along the way, they kept saying, this is good. This is good. This is good. They create man. They said, let's create man in our image. They said, this is good. Until they saw that he was alone. And they said, this is not good. Why Why was it not good? Because people are made for partners. And so you have this group of three that creates a group of two, Adam and Eve. And pretty soon that group of two became what? A group of three. It's how every family unit begins. Over and over and over in scripture, you see this two or three idea. Anytime God wants something to get done, he sends two, sometimes three. Luke 10, verse 1. The Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. So he had 72. He sent them out two by two by two. And then you have later in the New Testament, you have Paul and Barnabas going out and doing ministry. Then you have Paul and Silas and Barnabas and Mark. Again, twos. And Jesus, you go back to him, he spent his, his most precious time with those three, Peter, James, and John. In Mark 5, he, he specifically brings those three in with him to this house where there's this dead little girl, and he raises this girl from the dead. He literally stops the crowd and says, okay, you can't come any further. And he grabs those three, they go in, and he performs this miracle. In Matthew 17, Jesus takes those three up onto to the mountain where they they witness the transfiguration where they see Jesus' face shine like the sun and Moses and Elijah appear and they get to hear Jesus have a conversation with Moses and Elijah. And if you want to take it even further, within that group of three, there was one that Jesus was closest with. It was John. John called himself the one Jesus loved. He was the one at the last supper in Jesus' final hours that was reclining against him at the table. And later, when Jesus hung and died on the cross, where was the crowd? Where was the 12? Where was even the three? There was one there. One. It was John. What are the benefits of this science group? First of all, it's life-changing Accountability. Life-changing accountability. Now listen, if you don't know this, you should learn it. If there's an area of your life where you lack discipline or motivation or whatever, you need accountability. You need someone helping you. You need some structure maybe to get yourself disciplined. So in in my life, this is probably shocking to most of you, but uh, I'm not very disciplined when it comes to physical fitness, okay? Okay. I don't have what Clayton's got, okay, which is the will to get in better shape and lift weights, okay? So, so if I want to get in good shape, I need some accountability. So, so now at this point in my life, I'm just turned 40. My body's pretty much breaking down, and I decided I needed to, to get in better shape. So now for the third time in my life, I'm trying to, to get into CrossFit, OK, now, if you haven't tried this, this, this is built in accountability. You're you're meeting people there. They're they're encouraging you. You know, I kind of realized this point in my life. I, I just needed more opportunities to feel bad about myself. And so they they provide that to me. <laughs> you know, in my normal day to day routine, I don't really cry or throw up enough. So I, I get that there. But I, I need accountability if I'm ever going to be in good shape. It's the same with your walk with Jesus. You need a small group of people, small group of people going through life with you, pursuing Jesus with you, providing that accountability, that iron sharpens iron kind of thing. You also get confidentiality and trust. This is something you, you can't really even get in that group of 12. Because why? There's some things in that group of 12 you can't share. There's, there's maybe guys there, there may be girls there. There may be different age groups. Like in my case, there may be kids in the room. There's just some places you can't go. You know what I'm talking about? If you're struggling in an area, you need a group of two or three that are the same gender as you, going through the same stuff as you, that you can share anything with. And you can know that they still love you and they still accept you and they're still behind you. They have your back. You have their back. You can't get that even in a group of 12, and you sure can't get it here. In this size group, we we, we wear the mask. We have to pretend like we have it all together. In that group of two or three, you can be completely honest, and you can have someone in the fight with you instead of just pretending that you're not in a fight. It's so very crucial. If you want to be a, a better student, a better brother or sister, a better, a better kid to your, your parents, a better follower of Jesus. This is where it happens in the group of two or three. Ecclesiastes drives this home. Chapter four it says two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three or even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. I love that visual of standing back to back with people you know and trust. Fighting for each other. So my bottom line for you tonight is, is do you have all three? You've got the crowd thing down. Do you, do you have a group of 12? Do you have that group of two or three? Like take a little time and just evaluate. Are you putting all your eggs in this basket, hoping it will meet all your needs? One more quote from Neil Cole. He says, Neil Cole. He says, one size does not fit all. Expecting one size to meet all needs is not only unrealistic but disappointing to all involved. The, only relying on the crowd leads you to the disappointment and to not being satisfied, not being fulfilled. So as you look at your life, where, where are the holes in your relationships and the ways you spend your time Where do you need to shore things up? The challenge is super simple, right? This, keep being part of the crowd. Keep coming. Keep getting good biblical teaching, coming together to to worship God together. Commit to coming. Don't just come once or twice a month. Come every single week. God can do so much through a group this size. But then also, You need to find your 12. Find your 12. We, we have these things called Raider groups that are specifically designed to to give you this size of of a group to do life with. I want to challenge you tonight to start a Raider group. Listen, you're thinking about your 12. You already have 12. Think about it. You already have a circle of friends, maybe some family that are close, that you already love, you're already hanging out with on a consistent basis. You're going to games together, maybe you're having dinner together, whatever. You have those natural relationships already. Why not drop a little Jesus in with that? And you might be thinking, wait, wait, wait. Those friends, (laughs) you know, those are my party friends, right? Those those aren't really my my church friends. Those, Those are over here, right? I don't know where we got into this thinking that we have to compartmentalize our lives. It's just your life. Take the people that you love the most, that you spend the most time with and start talking about real life occasionally. Start talking about what Jesus has to say, what the Bible has to say. You may have even people in that group that aren't even believers. That's great. You'd be surprised how open people are that don't even believe to what Jesus has to say or what the Bible has to say about our our normal lives. Most people aren't hostile towards Jesus. They're hostile towards Christians sometimes and churches sometimes, but not Jesus. Maybe you need to circle up those friends and just say, hey, what would y'all think about just meeting every once in a while and just sharing kind of real life stuff and maybe praying for each other? No one turns down prayer. No one turns down prayer. And maybe occasionally we we open the Bible, we see what it has to say. I promise you, you don't have to lead anything. You don't have to have a degree, right? You don't have to teach anyone anything. We've made it so super easy for you. I promise it's easier than you think it is. We have a a guide that'll walk you through some cool things to to read in the Bible and questions that kind of get you talking about it and how it applies to your life. It could not be simpler. Maybe God right now is, is tugging on your heart to start something. You, you need it desperately. You couldn't need it more, but so do your friends. They might need it more than you. And start a group. Maybe you don't have that group of friends. Maybe you're, you're new, maybe from out of town. You haven't developed those relationships yet. Maybe you want to develop some new relationships with other Jesus followers going in your same direction. You can do that too. We already have some groups set up available. In fact, right after this tonight, we're going to have our group leaders that current existing groups out in front with these signs. And you can go easily find them, talk to them, meet them. They can tell you about their group when they meet. Maybe it fits with your schedule. Maybe it doesn't. But we can find you a group. I would love to help you find a group. I would love to help you start a group. If you want to start a group, if that's something you want to even explore, man, come talk to me right after this out here talk to Clayton we'd love to help you because you need it you need it finally find your two or three find your true three you you probably have these two but yes it needs to be someone following Jesus right because you need someone helping you to follow him but maybe you need to have a conversation with them and say listen I want to have an intentional relationship with with you. I want to to set up a meeting maybe, have coffee once every week or two, and just just talk. And and I want to have your back, and I want you to have my back, and I I just want to do this thing together. It's, It's tough following Jesus. It's even tougher in your shoes with the things you hear and see every day, going through your college experience, man, it's not easy. You can't do it alone. And you were never intended to do it alone. You've got to find your two or three. And lastly, I would say, the most important thing you have to get right is your relationship with Jesus. Coming here to the crowd, even being in a group of 12 or a group of two or three, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, none of that means anything. If you looked at your life, could you, could you really say that you have a relationship with Him? Not, not you, you call yourself a Christian, not you're a good person, not you attend church all the time, not you're in a Bible study. Do you have a relationship with Him? Do you know that if something were to happen to you, you would spend eternity with Him in heaven? Or are you unsure of where you stand? You can be sure tonight. You can be sure. It's not a magic prayer, right? There, there's it's just a heart decision that, that you make but just between you and God where you put your faith, not in, not in you, not in the good works you've done, not in trying to be good enough. But you come to God knowing that his standard is perfection. You're not perfect. And you put your faith in, in Jesus, what he did for you on the cross as he gave up his life to be a sacrifice for your sin and my sin and for the sins of all of mankind. And you know that when he rose from the dead. He forever conquered the grave, conquered death, conquered sin. And he promises us an eternity with him and also a a life with him here on earth where he can lead you day by day. You can have a relationship with God. And then you can get to work with those 12 in your life, those two or three, as you follow Jesus with all your heart. Make that decision tonight. If you're, if you're making the decision, we want to know about it. We want to talk to you about it. We want to celebrate with you. You can do that on, on our website, raiderchurch.com. There's a connect form on there. You can let us know that decision. Man, we want to celebrate that with you. As a close, I, I went through a scary time in my life where, where I didn't have those relationships that we've talked about. Maybe you find yourself there even now. I went through a, a time probably seven or eight years ago where, man, I was just burned out. I was drained. My relationship with God, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't, I was, I was giving a lot with, with ministry, right? But not really re- refilling myself. And I was just, Spent and, and I can't even explain what happened, but it got to the point where I would just break down in tears and just bawling my eyes out for no reason. I couldn't stop. It happened time and time again. And I was like, what, what in the world is going on? And I took some time off, right? And I kind of, what I did was isolated myself. And I, I didn't have that group of 12 people that knew me and that loved me and that I had shared what was going on in my life with. And I didn't have that two or three that would would call and check on me and offer me a hand up. And it was the the loneliest, most isolated experience I've I've ever had. And and looking back now, I can say with confidence, I was severely just depressed and broken and down. And there's nothing scarier or more dangerous than going through life that way. So maybe you need a hand up. Whatever it is God is leading you to do, Maybe it's the 12 and the two or three. There's something that God's stirring your heart with right now. I want to encourage you. Man, we're we're about to sing. Don't just shut the door on God as soon as the music starts, right? During worship, man, let him continue to work on you. Let him continue to, to kind of clarify for you what your next step is in your relationship with him. And Mark will give you some more instructions at the end. But as we prepare to sing, I want to ask you to stand and pray with me. God, Thank you that you love us so much, and thank you that you've designed us not to go through life alone. You've designed us to to need people around us that love us and care for us, that can have each other's backs. And so I pray, God, that if any of that is missing in our lives tonight, that you would make that abundantly clear to us in these moments, and that we wouldn't just hear it and go out the door and not do anything about it, but God, we would hear it, and we would do something about it. God, we, we've we depended on just the crowd long enough. God, we are ready to, to go deeper with you and with the people in our lives. So God, give us the courage to do that step by step as we trust in you. In your name, amen.